Let's open our Bibles together to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, For those of you who may be uh, guests with us or newer, um, we are uh, traveling through the Gospel of Mark. We have been for about a year, and um, we are in chapter 9. We're looking at verses 30 to 41 this morning. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 30. I encourage you to, to have a Bible open, whether it's on your device or a Bible in front of you uh, there in the, uh, the chair rack as well. Let me begin reading Mark chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 30. They, that is Jesus and his disciples, went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me. But him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Let's pray together before we study these words. Father, we're so thankful that we have Bibles. Uh, We're thankful that as we turn to these words, we're not just turning to the words of man, but we're turning to your inspired word, living words, sharper than a two-edged sword. Uh, We pray that we would hear your voice speaking. We think of those this morning as well who could not be with us to worship. Those uh, like Sam Milan still in the hospital. Uh, Those like Dave Toman still recovering from his stroke from last Sunday. We pray for them and their families that your comfort, your peace would rest upon them this morning. That you would bring healing. uh, That the hope of the gospel uh, would be their anchor in this time. As we look at Jesus' teaching this morning, Father, we pray you would clear our minds. Uh, We pray that you would churn our hearts so that we might understand Jesus more and that we might love him as a result of these words. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In his book, The Vanishing American Adult, a book that I've been rather obsessed with, I think a lot of my friends are probably sick of me talking about this book at this point, Uh, Former U.S. Senator Ben Sass raises his concerns about the increasing self-centeredness in our culture. 
And he tells a story about when he was a president of a small Lutheran college called Midland, and particularly about a young employee he had hired for donor relations with the college. And he talks about how she had the perfect personality, the perfect skills for this role that he had hired her for. However, he goes on and he writes this. Unfortunately, her obvious talents were undermined by the fact that she frequently left work hours earlier than everyone else with little effort to communicate to her coworkers and superiors when and why. And apparently no concern for or understanding of how her actions affected their work. It eventually resulted in so many missed opportunities and caused such internal dissension that we had to intervene. Her supervisor and I sat her down in my office, reiterated our positive judgments about her potential, but gave her the bad news that we would have to let her go because she was unreliable. She began to cry and pleaded for her job. She said she recognized her failings and promised that if we kept her on, she would improve. Perhaps against my better judgment, we decided to reconsider, concluding that the tough love truth-telling had gotten through. Less than a week later, her supervisor watched in amazement as she began to pick up, pack up and leave around 2.30 in the afternoon. So she called her out. Didn't we just have a conversation about this? Well, sure, she replied, but this is different. My favorite aerobics teacher has her class at 3 o'clock instead of 6 o'clock today. What? The boss replied. I'm confused. How does that sentence align with your pledge last week to work harder and longer and communicate better? She replied, well, sure, but no one ever said anything about missing aerobics. A girl who had all the potential in the world to thrive and do well in her job, if she could just adopt an attitude of service for the institution that she was hired for. We hear many stories like this, don't we? Uh, we live in a culture that feeds our tendency, a tendency that I have, that all of us have, to pursue self-serving rather than selfless serving. I was thinking about Katy Perry's song that I think is over 10 years old now, uh, Firework, uh, where the chorus is, baby, you're a firework. Go on, show them what you're worth. Make them go, ah, 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 as you shoot across the sky. I, I, <laughs> baby, you're a firework. Let your colors burst. Make them go, oh, 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 as you leave them all in ah, ah, ah. Amazing lyrical talent. Amazing, <laughs> let me tell you. Well, there's Katy Perry saying, Show yourself off. And then there's Jesus in verse 35. In verse 35, he says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Jesus is saying this is how the world ought to think about greatness. That to be great is to put yourself in the place of the servant, not the master. Put yourself in the place of the learner not the expert. This morning, we're going to see from Jesus how humility and service has a central place in the life of a Christian and in the ministries 
of our church. And as he begins, he really lays out for us, first of all, the mindset of service. What is the mindset that we ought to have as we are serving? It ought to be one of Christ-like humility. This passage begins with him talking about how he is going to serve us in our greatest need. Take a look at verse 30. In verse 30, it begins by showing us that he's traveling around with his disciples, and at this point in his ministry, he's not drawing crowds. He's intentionally not letting anyone know that he's around because he is solely focused on getting one important truth into the minds of his disciples at this point. And what is that truth? Verse 31, he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise telling them that he is going to die, die for sin. He's going to raise again from the dead. This is something that he apparently had been teaching them over and over and over and over. It was like a, a, a one-hit one wonder message over and over again to his disciples. And despite his re re reiteration of this lesson, are the disciples getting it? In verse 32, we read that they did not understand the saying. They couldn't understand. Why weren't the disciples understanding? Because the, the traditional Jewish mindset about who the Son of Man would be, as we read in Daniel 7, they expected that when the Messiah, when the Son of Man would come, he would come as a conqueror. He would come as a warrior. With divine power, he would put down all of God's enemies and establish Israel as, as the unopposed kingdom once again. Jesus is flipping that expectation on its head. He's saying, men are not going to be delivered into the hands of the Son of Man. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Verse 32 says also that they were afraid to ask him. They were afraid to ask for clarification about exactly what he was talking about with his crucifixion. Probably because... They understood the implications of what this might mean for them as his followers. Could it be possible that they had this ex expectation that maybe they were going to ride Jesus' coattails as the Son of Man all the way to the top of the place in God's kingdom? And now they're realizing, oh, to be a follower of Jesus might actually mean suffering is involved. Hardship is involved. And of course, the great irony of the passage is in verse 33 and 34. Jesus talking all this time about how he's going to give himself over to die for sin. In verse 33 and 34, what do we read? They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. Why? For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Jesus, this whole time, saying, I, the Son of Man, am going to give myself up, and all the time they're doing uh, a comparison of who's better. It's like the classic uh, playground fight. My dad's better than your dad. No, my dad could take your dad. Well, my dad could take your dad. Except what's worse is they are talking about themselves. Now, can you imagine how the conversation might have gone as they were traveling along the road? One of them says, you know, in terms of casting out demons... I think I've, I've probably cast out the most. Another one says, yes, but, you know, my personality skills with people, I think I shine in that area. 
Another one might have said, yeah, but have you noticed when I teach, everyone's really listening, they're, they're, they're really engaged. I just wonder what Jesus was doing the whole time, just strolling along, listening to this conversation, probably smirking to himself, shaking his head. And then they get home, they get into this house, and he calls them out. Hey guys, what were you discussing on the way here? Utter silence. They knew what they had been doing. So verse 35, he sits down, the posture of a teacher, and he calls them around. Time to learn a lesson, guys. He passes on a lesson to them that they would carry with them, should carry with them, and hold close to themselves, a lesson that we ought to hold close to ourselves and carry around with us. Verse 35, he says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. You want to be great? Put yourself in the position of the least. You want to rise to the top in God's eyes? Intentionally put yourself at the bottom. Jesus is essentially, what he's doing here, he is teaching his disciples, and he's teaching us that we ought to cultivate humility just as he is humble. We should imitate Christ in his humility. Paul in Philippians 2 wrote about uh, what we can learn about our, the humility we ought to have from the example of Jesus. In Philippians 2, he said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mindset among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I was thinking this week about uh, Major Dick Winters uh, of the 101st Airborne. I don't know if any of you have ever watched the Band of Brothers series or, or read any of the books. Uh, Major Dick Winters led the 101st Airborne through some of the most pivotal and crucial victories of World War II. What strikes me about his leadership of his men it was how servant-minded he was throughout the greatest conflicts. He always put himself in the front line in the most vulnerable and dangerous part of the battle because he saw himself as just one of his company, a servant leader of his men. When he was older in life, his grandson asked him, Grandpa, were you a hero in the war? And his reply was, no, Grandpa wasn't a hero, but I served in a company of heroes. He was a war hero in every sense of the word, and yet he saw himself as a servant. Jesus, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one who alone is entitled to be served, came down and put himself in the place of a servant. For the vilest, most rebellious sinner, he even served them in taking on their sin on the cross. Francis Schaeffer in his book, No Little People, gets at the heart of how you and I try to rationalize our 
trying to rise to the top rather than staying low before the Lord. He wrote this. He said, Jesus commands Christians to consciously seek the lowest place. All of us Christians are tempted to say, I'll take the larger place because it will give me more influence for Jesus. Both individual Christians and Christian organizations fall prey to the temptation of rationalizing this way as we build bigger and bigger empires. But according to scripture, this is backwards. We should consciously take the lowest place unless the Lord himself extrudes us into a greater one. We are called just to focus our minds on being humble servants and let God worry about giving us new opportunities. Let God worry about giving us more influence, more importance in our sphere of, of, of living. Focus on being a servant and watch what God will do as you focus there. The mindset of serving, Christ-like humility, we see next the target, the aim, the target of serving. What should our aim, our goal be in serving? Loving those who can't return the favor. Take a look at verse 36. In verse 36, Jesus does something that would have been absolutely unthinkable in the minds of the disciples. Uh, they're staying in someone's house. The person must have had children. He takes one of these children and he put him in the midst of them, verse 36 says. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. He takes a little boy, puts him on his lap, hugs him to himself, and tells his disciples, guys, you want to know who you ought to serve? These are the kind of people, children, the, the lowest of the low, the ones who can't return the favor. These are the ones who you ought to serve. Now, in our Western culture, we read that and we think thumbs up, two thumbs up for what Jesus says here. But in the ancient world, for the first readers of Mark, this would have been an astounding thing to see Jesus do. Because in the ancient world, uh, uh, children were viewed as largely unimportant and irrelevant until they reached working age and could contribute something to society. Uh, I was shocked uh, to discover this week, archaeologists say that uh, about 1% of children who died in infancy were even dignified uh, with a grave marker. So that kind of shows you where children ranked in society. In terms of citizenship, children were afforded no rights whatsoever. They were really the least of the least in society. By setting a child up in front of the disciples and telling them, these are the ones you ought to serve, Jesus is making the point, serve those who can't do anything for you in return. Now, Street Smarts says if you want to make your way up in the world, who do you serve? You serve those who are greater than you, those who are wealthier than you, with the understanding that if you serve well, you might just elevate, get elevated yourself through their greatness, through their influence, through their wealth. Jesus flips that on its head and says, no, serve those who can't do anything in return. He's showing us that service is an end in itself, that we should serve simply for the joy that loving others brings to our hearts. You and I, we were created to love God and to serve God by loving others and serving others. An outward focus actually is the means of gaining inward fulfillment. Uh, I was 
passed along an article this week by a friend, uh, New York Post, talking about the plague of the social media society. And it was saying that the, um, the growing uh, rates of depression and anxiety among children and young adults is higher than it has ever been in our nation. And the, the thing that they pointed to was the screen. Uh, the fact that children are, and young adults are so tied into their own little world and not outward focused to others. And even just these secular psychiatrists were saying the answer is stop focusing inward. Start focusing outward and spending time with others, cultivating that other mindset, that servant mindset, uh, even in the earliest years. To teach our youngest generations from the example of Jesus that it is an outward focus that leads actually to a fulfilling, God-honoring life. Uh, my late mother-in-law, Cindy Tucker. How many of you remember Cindy? Yeah, a lot of hands. Uh, one of the things that my wife is so thankful for that Cindy did for them when they were little was she would always take them over to her visits uh, with seniors over at the retirement home, seniors that she had befriended here at the church. because She wanted her kids to, to know uh, that, that there are folks out there, there's such thing as fragility, need, loneliness, that there are folks who are much older than them, that they could get to know and get to serve. Uh, what a wonderful thing to pass on to your children, to, from the earliest stages, have a mindset of service to those who might need it. An understanding of the gospel, what Jesus has done for us in putting himself in the place of the servant, gets us out of ourselves and outward to the world. But as we serve, we have to acknowledge that we can't do everything. That's the next thing we see in the text, the limits, the limits of serving, that every believer has a part to play. If you take a look at verse 38, verse 38, as John is sitting there listening to Jesus teach these things, he apparently had a bit of a guilt trip coming up in his heart, uh, a little bit of guilt, a little bit of conviction, and he tells him about feeling guilty about this interaction that the disciples had with this man who was trying to do good in Jesus' name. In verse 38, John says to Jesus, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. A modern day translation might be Someone who wasn't part of our little group, part of our team, was doing our thing, and I said, stop stepping on our toes, that's our territory. That's essentially what John is saying here. What does Jesus say in reply in verse 39? Jesus said, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink, the smallest, simplest act that anyone could do, because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. Jesus is essentially saying, anyone who is seeking to honor me ought to be honored for the work that they are doing. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson, in his commentary, said, John here was anxious to safeguard his own role, his own significance. His concern was not for Christ's honor and kingdom. And so Jesus explained, John, the real issue is not whether this man is part of our group or not, but whether he is for me or against me. As we live the Christian life, 
should be thankful that we can't do everything. God has people doing his work through his, for his kingdom through every single one who calls on the name of Christ. Things that we cannot do, he has others doing it. It's not, it's not a work for one select uh, individual or one denomination or a handful of churches, but all throughout the world he has his people doing what he has them doing. And we must be humble enough to be thrilled that we have limits with what we ourselves are able to do. Well, how do we cultivate this? How do we cultivate this servanthood that Jesus is speaking about? I think four simple biblical uh, principles help us as we try to cultivate this servanthood that Jesus is talking about here in Mark 9. Four of them, I'm going to try to be quick, okay? So if I start talking long, you just give me a look and I'll, I'll speed up. First, number one, if we are going to cultivate servanthood, we should practice daily confession of sin. Those who consistently confess their sin and acknowledge their sin before God will have a very hard time remaining proud. When we remember our sin before the Lord, we're reminded of his grace despite his holiness, and we will be humbled before him. And we'll be humbled before fellow sinners who sin against us. We'll be reminded that we are just like those who sin against us, and we'll be quicker to forgive and slower uh, to to retaliate. Number two, daily remind yourself of the cross of Christ. Jesus said, the son of man would be delivered into the hands of men to be killed and to rise again. What does that hymn say? When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When we remember his sacrifice for us when we were in rebellion, we will quickly be reminded that we are just unprofitable servants, even on the best of days. Third, praise God for the skills to serve Jesus that others have, that you may not have. How easy it is for us when we see others who have opportunities that we don't have, skills that we wish we had, talents that we wish we had, gifts that we wish we had. How easy it is for us to begin to envy and to begin to become jealous. When those moments of envy and jealous are popping up in our hearts, it's an opportunity to turn them to praise and encouragement. Instead of envy, instead of jealousy, praise God. Praise God for the opportunities that he is giving someone that you don't have, the skills that he has given them that you don't have, and encourage them. Let them know how you see God at work in their lives. And then lastly, leave places better than you found them for the glory of Jesus. When I was in Scouts and we were leaving a campsite that we had been staying in for the duration of our camping, we did at the end what was called a clean sweep. Uh, this clean sweep, we would all, uh, the whole troop would line up in single file, uh, five feet spaced apart, and then we would walk in a straight line, and we were responsible, uh, each man was responsible for the five feet in front of him as we walked the campground to pick up any trash that we saw that we may have left behind. And not just the trash that we knew we left, 
but the trash that others may have left who camped there before us. And it was the idea ingraining into us that you humbly take the place of cleaning up not just your own mess, but even being willing to clean up others' messes as a servant and a humble person. How much more should a Christian have that mindset? Wherever Jesus calls us in our sphere of life, as we encounter the darkness that we are walking through, how can we bring the light of Christ to bear? How can we bring his glory to bear upon the lives of those that we encounter, upon hopeless situations that we face? To not say someone else will handle that, someone else can handle that, but to put ourselves in the place of the, of the servant and to serve the needs around us, leaving places better than we found them so that Jesus' name might come to bear on other people's lives and situations. In conclusion, Luther, when he wrote his great work, The Christian's Freedom, he put his finger on the paradox of the Christian life. Martin Luther wrote this. It's a great quote. The Christian is the most free Lord of all and subject to no one. The Christian is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. Luther, through discovering the New Testament and the, the hope of the gospel, came to understand that Christ, when we trust in his name, sets us free from all judgment so that, so that before God we are set free and no longer condemned. And yet that freedom that we have in Christ is a freedom that drives us to duty, a duty to serve others for the glory of God and the good of the gospel. As Paul wrote in Galatians 5.13, you were called to freedom brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. If anyone would be first, he must be last and servant of all. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for Jesus.